Good morning, Dennis. Careful there, brother. How's everybody? <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> so Monica and I were driving to church this morning, and uh, I have this habit. It's a bad habit. If, if you want to know what are Les's bad habits... Annette's got her note-taking device out. <laughs> uh, I'm going to call it time maximization. <laughs> Monica rolls her eyes. <laughs> We're driving over here at, you know, Five Till, and she's like, I don't know how you do this. I don't know how you do it every Sunday morning. You're like like rushing to get there. You've gotten you've gotten up at 5:30, you've had coffee, you've had your Bible time, you've walked the dog, you've had this totally peaceful morning. And then you like ruin it on the way to church. <laughs> I, maybe it is a boy thing. I don't know. Um but Dennis made the comment and I was solaced by his comment. Because he was observing all the people pouring into the classroom. He said, this is amazing. Five minutes ago, there were only three people. And now we have a full room. <laughs> so I have company in this. I have company in this. Time maximization. Get the, and I really do. Sometimes I think I, I, I try to utilize all of my time. And, you know, what happens is it causes me to, I'm not making excuses, but it causes me to, Oh, you didn't hear it. I'm sorry. It's not being repeated. <laughs> All right. Everybody good? Praise the Lord. It's a good day. It's been a good week. And um, I'm thankful to be here sharing with you this morning. Um, you know, it's been an interesting nine months at our house with Monica and her ankle. And... Yes, but I mean, really, mostly for her. But um, you know, we we've all pitched in and and done what we need to do. Barry and Sandra, you know, y'all have gone through. I mean, we've all gone through these these times. But you know, for her, she's you know very active. She she broke her ankle January second. Today is uh, what seventeen, roughly eighteenth of September. And that's a long time, you know. That's a long time, and. She's really been, her patients have been pressed, right? Because the doctor said, well, we think this can heal. We can just, you know, keep it still, put it in a boot, not have any movement, and it'll re-adhere and grow back and heal on its own without surgery. And so we were very encouraged by that. And so we, we, we did everything that, that we needed to do. Monica laid still, you know, didn't move. Um, we went back for x-rays and, and, and appointments, and yes, it looks like it's, you know, I can see this, and it's starting to adhere right. And at the end of the day, it didn't, right? So, what, eight months later, uh, they said, we're going to have to go ahead and do surgery. So on one hand, you're sitting there thinking, if we had just done this at the very beginning, but then you're also, you know, you don't want to go under the knife if you don't have to. So... We are on the road to recovery, right? Hallelujah. But, um, you know, that's that's one thing. And then there's been a, a couple of other things that have happened um, uh, 
that it makes you ask sometimes, you know, why are things so hard? You know, why, why, why do we have to go through these, these challenges and these difficulties? And Monica, the whole way through, we've been saying, you know, if, if you keep this in perspective, we got it pretty good, right? It's, it's a broken ankle. It'll heal. Um, and there's other issues that are, are not so easily remedied. And so it, it makes us ask, and, and we're only human, right? I mean, we're filled with the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit resides within us. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit, but we're also human. And it makes us sometimes wonder, you know, why, why do we have to go through these things? And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Um, and while I was sitting at my desk preparing this teaching last night, um, the Lord caused my eye to be drawn to this book that I've read. Um, and I don't know if any of you have read it, but it's called Bonhoeffer. It's about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Anybody else read that? Pastor's read it. Monica's read it. Um, I would highly encourage it. It is... Um, it's astoundingly good and interestingly um, I had a client that told me about it and he's Jew he's a Jewish man and he said you if you've not read this you really need to read this book he said I didn't know that you know um, that there was a Christian out there that you know basically martyred himself and gave himself up he said it was just it was fascinating read so I read this book and it is a fascinating read. So for those of you who don't know uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I'm going to read you a little bit here. Um, it says, As Adolf Hitler and the Nazis seduced a nation, bullied a continent, and attempted to exterminate the Jews of Europe, a small number of dissidents and saboteurs worked to dismantle the Third Reich from the inside. And one of these was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. A pastor, a martyr, a prophet, a spy. Um, and this, this book is a look at his life. Um, but he, he when, when all this happened, he left, the Uni he left Germany, went to the United States for some education. And, um, you know, the U.S. was a safe haven at that, at, at that time. And, and it remained a safe haven. But the Lord led him to leave the safe haven of America to return to Hitler's Germany. And this book talks about Bonhoeffer's involvement in the Valkyrie plot. Anybody remember that? That was the plot to um, assassinate Hitler. And um, I want to share a little bit, and I just want you, as, as I do this, I want you to be thinking about, you know, trials and tribulations, which is what we're going to talk about. Why do we go through, through hardships? So just bear with me if you don't mind. April 8th uh, was the first Sunday after Easter. In Germany, that's called Quasimodo Sunday. Dr. Punder asked Bonhoeffer to hold a service for them, and they're in prison. Punder was a Catholic as were a number of others. This was, uh, I'm sorry, this and the fact that another of his um, prison mates, Kokorin, was an atheist. Uh, the fact that there was a Catholic and atheist, it really, it says it caused Bonhoeffer to demur. He didn't wish to impose, but Kokorkin himself 
the atheist, insisted. So less than 24 hours before he left this world, Bonhoeffer performed the offices of a pastor. In the bright Schoenberg schoolroom that was their cell, he held a small service. He prayed and he read the verses for the day, Isaiah 53, 5 and 1 Peter 1, 3. And he explained those verses to everyone there in the room. As best recalled, uh, Bonhoeffer spoke to us in a manner which reached the hearts of all, finding just the right words to express the spirit of our imprisonment and the thoughts and resolutions which it had brought. The other prisoners in the schoolhouse hoped that they might be able to get Bonhoeffer to hold a service for them as well, but there would not be any time for this. Best describes what happened next. He had hardly finished his last prayer when the door opened and two evil-looking men in civilian clothes came in and said, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, get ready to come with us. Those words, come with us, for all the prisoners, they had come to mean one thing and one thing only, the scaffold. We bade him goodbye, and he drew me aside and he said, this is the end. But for me, it's the beginning. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, only the Lord knows the number of our days. And you know, there's things that happen in our lives that have an impact. Don't you think? I mean, we all see examples around us of people that we've that we've um, known. That we've lost. That made a tremendous impact on our lives. And sometimes it's in those hard places, the trials and the tribulations where they really cause us to um, gain the strength we need to live our lives in the way that the Lord would have us to live our lives, right? You think of the impact that this man had on those, on those um, other prisoners, his cellmates. You think of the impact that he had I was going to read to you, um, there's a section in here where there's the doctor in the, in the prison, and he, he describes the way that Bonhoeffer died, and how he, um, how he saw him in the, in, the, in, the, in the cell before he was going out to the gallows, and it says, you know, that he witnessed him kneel down, say a, a quiet prayer, and get up and walk 
walk out. And he said the same thing happened. As he approached the scaffold, he knelt down, said a quiet prayer, climbed up, and um, they executed him. And he said that in 50 years of being a doctor, he had never seen anyone die so peaceably. You know, so so um, confident. And that impacted him, right? He, this this doctor was, was uh, he was a Nazi. And that impacted him. And so when we talk about trials and tribulations and why things are so difficult, we need to remember that it's through those trials and tribulations that other people are watching us. Other people are witnessing the way that we handle those trials and tribulations because we can be a testimony to them just in the way that we handle those trials. <laughs> so um, sometimes I wonder, is that, is that why we have them? Do we have these difficult times, these challenges, so that we can be an example to others of, of the way that we have our faith and confidence in the Lord? Amen. Breath, drink of water. Love you, Beth. Thank you, Annette. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, let's read John sixteen thirty three on your handout uh, under the heading hardships and tribulations. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. The words of Jesus. So why is it necessary that we have tribulations? Why must there be trials and hardships and pain and suffering? Why do we have to go through these difficulties? Why do people have to suffer? You know, I, I find oftentimes when I'm asking myself why, that the Lord brings me to the conclusion, the understanding, and the realization that it's not for us to know. And that's totally against human nature, isn't it? I mean, I want to know. I want to know why. I want to know the answers to things. I mean, we, we, that's the way we're, we're wired. But there are just some things that it's not for us to know. And Jesus reminds us himself that none of us are good. In Mark 10, verses 17 and 18, it says, When he was gone forth into the way, there came one running to him and knelt down to him and said, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why do you call me good? There is none good but one. And that's God. Jesus himself, Larry, said, why are you calling me good? There is none good. Who are we to think that we're good? You know, when, when, we, when we say, 
Why do good people suffer? We all understand what we're saying, but at the end of the day, none of us are good. The reason we suffer is because of one man's sin, Adam. And through one man's obedience, we get to have eternal life in heaven and glory with Jesus. Amen? Amen. At the end of the day, this is why we suffer. Disobedience. Pride. Rebellion. So let's look at Romans 5, 1 through 11 on your sheet. It says, and I love Romans, by the way. Um, it's such a, just a, I love the whole word, but what a great, what a great book that is. Uh, Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope makes not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Amen. Amen. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some might even dare to die. But God commended his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now have received the atonement. Amen? Amen. Interesting that the passage the Lord gave me ended with the atonement. So, you know, when I read this, I think that not only are we going to have tribulations, but... Are we to bemoan those tribulations? Are we to complain to others about them? Seems like, you know, a lot of people spend a lot of time doing that, bemoaning their tribulations. Are we supposed to keep asking the Lord why we're having to go through them and asking him to take these tribulations away from us? That's not what the word says. It says we are to glory in tribulation. We're to glory in tribulations. That's counterintuitive, isn't it? Why would we need or be instructed to glory in tribulations? Well, I mean, what, to what end are we to glory in tribulations? It tells us in this passage. How many of you have heard that we're not supposed to pray for patience? <laughs> right? Yes, we have that one down. The tribulations, 
work our patience. Okay, if you've ever had children that have caused you tribulations, you know that it works your patience, right? Holding it all together when they keep disobeying is pretty tough sometimes. This word worketh here, I've put down the, the, uh, I can't, I'm bad at these names, katergazomai, it means to work out fully or to accomplish something. So working patience, and patience is this word that we've heard before, uh, hupamone, and it means cheerful or hopeful endurance or constancy. So tribulations work fully in our lives to bring us to a state of cheerful, hopeful endurance. And if you think of this life as a walk along a path, right, to, to, to glory, what more do we need than to be able to walk along that path in a state of cheerful, hopeful endurance? Not for ourselves, but for those that would view us and witness us and watch us in our daily lives. You know, we, we think about being a testimony to others and, and you know, um, preaching the gospel message and saving, you know, bringing others, we're not going to save anybody, bringing others to the point of salvation. And I, I, I find more and more these days that kind of like, you know, when you think about kids as parents, your kids are like a sponge. Mm -hmm. What are they doing? From the time they're little till the time they grow up, what are they doing? They are watching you, Larry. They're observing what you do, how you live, how you act, how you handle trials and tribulations, how you handle stress, um, how you love, how you don't love, right? They're observing and watching. I think that as Christians today in the very, very dark world that we live, people are watching. People are observing. People are looking to see how you handle, Nancy, tribulations in your life. Do you just break down and throw your hands up and give up? Or do you hold on to that steadfast faith, that hope? beats you with the bat. That's one way to get rid of that anger. <laughs> yes. I, I remember a moment when I was asking the Lord for patience, which I know we all do. And, and he really gently rebuked me because it, it was almost like he said, why are you asking me for that? When it is a fruit of the Spirit and the Spirit is in me. And so basically what he was doing was trying to teach me how to draw from the spirit within me to activate the passion, the passion, the patience that's already in me by virtue of the, of the spirit that's in me. Sometimes we make it so hard, we think that it's coming from, you know, God from his throne, you know, he's just going to pour patience out upon you, but it's in here. It's, it's part of the fruitfulness of his spirit that dwells within us. So we just have to, like I love what Pastor said a couple days ago when he was talking about how the Lord was just reminding him of how the Spirit affects every part. You know, it's it's in us. And we just need to remember that God, you know, that's in us. Patience is in us. Mm 
Mm. We just have to stir it, and and, and the impatience is in our flesh. So exactly, if that's what's at the surface, and that's all that we're exhibiting is the way we feel in our flesh. Then that's where the anxiety, the impatience. And, but if you go in, you gotta yeah, you gotta you gotta tap the reservoir that he's of him that's in there to activate the patience. It's already in you. It's like we think we're, I don't know, I don't know. You know, you when you ask the Lord for patience, what are you, what are you expecting? <laughs> right. Well, the other thing that's kind of cool is when it says tribulation works patience, that means that the trials actually suppress, I mean, if you are in the process and you submit to it, suppress the fleshly or carnal inclination so that you are more reliant upon what's in the spirit. That's what tribulation is working. Mm-hmm. It's working out the flesh details. Mm-hmm. Because there's no, I mean, your flesh is just flaming. Mm-hmm. And until you come to the point where you're willing to put it under the Spirit, to put it into submission of what the Spirit is doing. But we've all had to endure that process. That's interesting. I just got this, this picture in my mind of uh, having patience that's, let's call it dormant or inactive. And the tribulations cause us to stir up that patience. You know, you think about. Olivia made me a cup of coffee the other day. So sweet of her. And um, I like strong coffee. And I have lately been putting heavy cream in my coffee, which I really like. Um, and so she put some in. And I noticed that she put kind of a lot in. And she, like, gave it a quick stir and handed it to me. So we go on this walk. I gave it a quick stir. We go on this walk, and I'm drinking this coffee, and it's really good. And I'm enjoying it. But I get about halfway down, and it starts getting kind of cool. I'm, I'm like, well, that's odd. Well, what had happened is that heavy cream had sank to the bottom, and so the bottom half of my cup was basically solid whipping cream. And the top, huh? It's heavy. It's heavy, right? And so I realized, whoa, I should have stirred that up a little bit better. Um, but I, I th- that, that picture in my mind, kind of like what we're talking about. We have, we have the heavy cream inside us. It's just down here, that faith, right? Yeah, really is, yeah. But if we just give it a quick stir and that's it, it's not going to go well. But if we will stir up through those tribulations, they stir up that, that, that patience within us, then we'll be able to get through the trial in style. Mm-hmm. Amen? <laughs> I've been working on that one for two days. <laughs> Good conversation. Um, I put down here in the in the New Testament, patience is the characteristic of a man who is not swerved has not gone off the road from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. Patience is the characteristic of a man who has not swerved from his deliberate purpose. Does the Lord have a purpose for your life, Zach? He does. The Lord has a purpose for every one of our lives, right? We are often the ones that swerve. <laughs> you know, we get off, off track. But 
um, manifesting and holding on to that patience helps us to, to not deviate from our purpose. Patience also leads to the top of the second page, experience. I think this is pronounced dokame. Experience means to, to test. How many of you have ever taken a test? Yes. Experience leads to trustiness or trustworthiness. Um, experience can be likened to a, a trial, which is what we're talking about, right? Going through trials. Um, and an experience can prove something out, right? It can prove whether you're trustworthy or not trustworthy through the trial and the tribulation, whether you have hope or don't have hope, whether you have patience or don't have patience. And in going through experience and having experiences, this leads us to hope. hope. Amen? And hope is from the word elpis. And it means to anticipate typically with pleasure. Um, you know, the hope of our salvation. I mean, we, we think about the hope of our salvation. We, we, we look forward to that with pleasure, right? We're going to be with the Father. There's, I mean, we're going to be right there in his presence. There's no need for sunshine, no sun by day, moon by night, because he is our light. Amen? Amen. To have hope means to have an expectation or to have confidence in something. And in, of course, in the Christian sense, a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation is our hope. And to the final end, um, joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's who our hope is in. And we have received we have received that hope through the atonement, which has been the topic of our conference this week. And for those who have any question about atonement, um, it just simply means a, a, a restoration or a re returning to a place of favor. I mean, we, we, we are fallen man, we're sinful, and until we have accepted Jesus as our atonement, that salvation, we are then restored to that, that point of favor with the Lord because we have um, taken Jesus into our heart and into our life. It's caused uh, this reconciliation to come about. Praise the Lord. So let's talk a little bit about relationship. You know, this church, the Saints Network, you know, when people ask us what it is that we do, we go throughout the earth in this network preaching the importance of relationship, relationship with our Father in heaven, our relationship with Jesus. Um, now that we understand why these tribulations come to us in this life, how do we persevere through these times? How do we get through hardships? D doesn't it take others around us to pray for us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to lift us up? relationships and our specifically our relationship with the father you know you think about nobody in here will suffer a death like Jesus did I pronounce that over you okay 
I mean, you think about Jesus facing down the cross, okay? He knew how he was going to die. He, he was well aware of Rome and the Romans and how torturous they could be. He witnessed it, right? He knew about crucifixion. He knew what that was like. He probably witnessed people being crucified. He knew. He was able to go there because he was Jesus. But it was the joy that was set before him was the reason why he was able to endure that cross. And what was his joyful focus that allowed him to press ahead? I want to read something to you. I'm sure many of you are familiar with Oswald Chambers. I know Monica is. We read this every day. Um, I want to read something to you here. The joy of Jesus was the absolute self-surrender and self-sacrifice of himself to his Father. Is that our joy? Is our joy the absolute self-surrender and sacrifice to our Father? The joy of doing that which the Father had sent him to do. And he tells us, he said, I delight to do thy will. That was his joy. Doing that which his father had sent him to do, that was his joy. And why should we not derive as our main source of joy the exact same thing? And yet we don't. It seems like oftentimes we, we find our sources of joy in our health, our bodily health, our fitness, our mental health, and things that are going on us. I put here external happenings, you know, whether it's a new job or whether it's a new house or a new car or promotion or whatever it is, all this plethora of things that goes on around us, sometimes that's what we try to find our joy in. But you know, not even seeing God's work succeed should be a point of joy for us. I mean, of course we should be happy that the work is going forth and the ministry is going forth and that things are happening as we, as we know the Lord wants to happen. But we should not rejoice in our successful service to God. But we should rejoice in that we are rightly related to Jesus. Amen. That should be our source of joy. Because if we are not rightly related to Jesus. We there's just there's there's no there is no joy. No matter where you look, where you try to find it, you won't find it. That's why the Bible says the you know, it's the joy of the Lord. It's the joy of Yahweh. Hmm. It's the joy of who he is and his eternal plan and where we fit in that plan. And we have his joy when we're aligned with that and doing his fulfilling that so good I mean I, 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 feel, I feel like you know the church the general church these days they really miss it you know there, there's, there's you know 
we're made for action. People are made for action. We feel like we have always got to be doing something or we're not productive. But you know, an hour spent in intercession before the Lord, communing with him, <laughs> talk about productivity, right? That is the productive time. The world looks at that and they call it foolishness. Why are you laying on the floor in the dark, mumbling unintelligible words for an hour? You know, you could be doing this, or you could be doing that. You could be doing this, or you could be doing that. Right relationship is the most important thing. Luke 10, verse 20 says, Notwithstanding in this rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. We should rejoice in communion with our Father and in the type of communion that Jesus himself had. We should rejoice in relationship with God. I'm going to read another bit to you here from Oswald Chambers. It says, Keep your relationship right with him, and then whatever circumstances you're in, and whoever you meet day by day, he is pouring rivers of living water through you. And it is of his mercy that he doesn't let you know it. Right? Interestingly, we talk about this, this, these rivers of living water flowing out of our belly. And we, we have this mental image that you know, the Lord is going to use us. He's going to cause these rivers to flow out of us. And, and, and we're going to see a nation impacted or our community impacted or our workplace impacted. No. God grants us his mercy in the fact that he doesn't even let us know it's happening. When once you're rightly related to God by salvation and sanctification, remember that wherever you are, you are put there by God. And by your reaction of your life on the circumstances around you, you will fulfill God's purpose as long as you keep in the light as God is in the light. Think about that. God puts you where you're supposed to be. Okay? We don't put ourselves where we're supposed to be. God ordains and orders the circumstances of our lives, the chance meetings, the, 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 the people that we bump into on the street, whatever it is. God put us there. And by our reactions, the way we act or react to circumstances in our life, will fulfill God's purpose, leading others to the light, so long as we keep in the light. Right? 
It's as simple as that. If we press into the light, press into the Lord, stay in that light, God will cause people to come into our life. They'll just, we'll be a witness to them by the way we live our lives. Okay? You're not having to knock on doors. You're not having to stand on the street corners. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But just by the way you live your life, if you're living in the light, the way you live your life, people will observe you, Pastor Faladin. They'll watch you. They're watching you. They're watching you, brother. And they're, you're, you're a witness to them by the way that you handle these trials and tribulations that come into your life. The tendency today, and this is so true, I guess it was true back in Oswald's day as well as ours, is to put the emphasis on service, on work, on doing. Beware of the people who make usefulness their ground of appeal. If you make usefulness the test, then Jesus Christ was the greatest failure that ever lived. Saved by grace. I think about the the criminal on the cross with Jesus, there were three crosses on that hill, right? The two criminals were not saved, but there was one that got saved. In a moment, right? In the blink of an eye. So what do you think attacks this joy of walking in the light and, 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 and communing with God? What do you think attacks this joy the most? I'm just going to, versus reading it, just tell you. Just the, the daily distractions, the busyness of our life, okay? I think it's the primary way the enemy causes Christians to not be the success that they should be today is through distraction. There is so much going on around us. I mean, I, I watch. You drive around. You see people walking down the street. Everybody. Everybody. You know, I mean, it's, they're, they're like these robots and they're just, they are absolutely engrossed, okay? This morning I took Shadow for a walk, <laughs> which, which, I, which I try to do every morning. And I had two great conversations while I was out walking. You know, I don't take my phone. You know, and I, and I was reflecting on that um, about conversation, commune, speaking to others, having, having times to talk to other people, you know. Houses today don't have porch, porches, okay? Back in the day, they had big porches because people would walk around, and they'd go sit on the porch and have a glass of iced tea with berry. You know, pe people don't make the time for that commune these days. They are so distracted. And we have to guard against that. However you do that. Sometimes, you know, I know... Uh, Technology is a blessing and a curse. And we have to use, I'm not saying I wish there wasn't any, but we have to be mindful to use technology to our benefit and not our detriment. Okay? Because technology 
can be detrimental. Sister? You know why that is? Talk to me. Because technology is the best thing to cover up any iniquities or weaknesses you have. It's a, it's a, it's a smoke screen or something to hide behind. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Versus just fessing up, right? Right. And acknowledging them. Or anything else. <laughs> right. So we need to guard against distraction. Let's read John 10, verses 7 through 11. Then Jesus said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enters in, he shall be saved. And he shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And this word abundantly means what you would imagine. It means like beyond expectations. It means a super abundance, whether it be in quantity or quality. It means excessive, exceeding, abundantly above all that we could expect. That is the kind of life you will live while you're here on the earth if you grasp these concepts. I love, I love nature, um, and I love that so much of the Bible talk, you know, it, Jesus uses nature, you know, we talk about the fig tree and all, I mean, just all the different things, uh, you know, the, the, the hills will clap their hands. I mean, all the, you know, all these, I love all these um, <coughs> references to nature, but Jesus right here, he says, I'm, I'm the shepherd. I'm the door that the sheep, you know, I'm the, I am the gate. The sheep can come in and out and find pasture. Okay? It's been hard to find pasture in Texas lately because it's been so dry. Some of that's been solved recently. But you think about, you know, the sheep following the shepherd around, right? What a beautiful sight to be able to go in and out and find pasture and, and, and have everything they need. And he says, you're not just going to get what you need. You're going to have superabundant joy if, if, if you live in this manner. Bottom of page 2, walk in the light and have fellowship. John 12, verses 35 and 36. Jesus said unto them, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walks in darkness knows not where he goes. While you have light, believe in the light, that you may be children of the light. These things spoke Jesus, and then he departed and hid himself from them. The light. You know, I think about how many of you have ever had a glow-in-the-dark toy? 
Okay? You have the glow-in-the-dark toy sitting there. Nighttime comes, and you can see it glowing on the desk, right? But what if you take, before the lights go out, your glow-in-the-dark toy, and you take it over and you hold it up against the light, and then you turn the light out? What happens? Anybody? It glows super bright. Super abundant, Annette. Exceedingly above, beyond all expectation. That's us, okay? We are the glow and the dark object. Jesus is the light. Get close to the light so that when you're out there in the darkness, you stand out. You're easily recognizable. People, people notice you, okay? They notice you. And they'll say things like, and you've probably had people say things like this to you. I don't know what it is about you, but I want whatever you got. You know? Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Annette. <laughs> that's, that's how we need to live. And Jesus, not because I say that. Jesus says that. He says, you got the light with you for a little while. Walk while you have the light. Walk in the light. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may be the children of light. 1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen. As we walk in the light, our light shines brighter in this dark world, showing others the way to confession and repentance and to uh, abundant life. And it reestablishes their understanding of what an abundant life is. For many people today, they think abundant life is what? They got all the stuff. They got the cars. They got the houses. They got the boat. They got the this. They got the that. That's abundant life. The older I get, I find more joy in, Monica would probably argue with this, in getting rid of things, slimming down. I have a lot of work to do. A lot of joy to come. <laughs> but they say the first half of life is all about accumulating, and the second half of life is all about getting rid of things. Okay? The first half of life, you're just kind of learning. The second half of life, you've got it figured out. Right? It's not about the getting, it's about the getting rid of. Amen? Amen. Give it away. Give it away. I think it comes down too, it's like with Les, it's like he'll, you know, I can tell when he's starting to look at like a new bike or something like that, which is no small investment. And my response to him now is, okay, which one are you going to get rid of? And <laughs> <laughs> we, we have a whole room full of bikes. We do. <laughs> okay, she's helping you to scale down, brother. No, no, I mean, I, I, mean, I love that he has a passion for that. I mean, it, I love that, and I don't. But it, it does come to a point where it's like, okay. I confess. It is. I mean, I, to me, they're like, you, you have to understand, I don't like walk into the bike shop and just say, oh, I'll take that one, right? I obsess over it. I don't ever buy off the rack. I mean, I have it. 
I pick the stem, I pick the bars, I pick the pedals, I pick the wheels. And, and oftentimes I go for aesthetic beauty and craftsmanship. You know, people, I had a, a friend of mine rode up by me not long ago and he said, he said, I love that you still ride campy and you use time pedals. Well, now everybody uses Shimano, which is made in Japan. It, it's, like, it's like a Honda, you know, doors closed, work fine, no maintenance required, will go forever, right? But Campy or Campagnola is made in Italy. It can be a little finicky, but it's made by hand and it's beautiful. I mean, you look at it, maybe not you. I look at it and I'm just like, oh, man, that is so pretty, you know? So I do. I, I find I find joy in it. So, so when I have when Monica talks about which one are you going to get rid of, it's like getting rid of one of your kids. <laughs> which one is your least favorite? Oh man, you know. No, and it's not like I'm saying get rid of one. It's no, no. Just, it's, it's just a conversation. You indulge me, thank you. It's the same with me. If I'm going to buy something and I think, okay, what do I need to get rid of? Right. Like, how's that going to fit in my closet? We have a real quick, quick story. We, I was in Santa Barbara with Noah. We were at a coffee shop. I see this absolutely stunningly beautiful bicycle, like probably one of the prettiest I've ever seen in my life. And I see, I see, I can identify whose it is. I can look in the crowd and see who's having coffee and say, okay, that's yours. So I walk over. I said, that's your bike, right? And he's like, yep. So I start asking him about it. He's telling me about who made it and where it was made and all this stuff. I come back to Dallas I get on the internet, I find the frame builder in Oregon, I contact him, I commission him, I have that bike <laughs> at home with those fenders that are dimpled and shine beautifully. I have the bike with the red cables and the blue, the, what is it, um, Robin's Egg Blue paint. It's spectacular. So I do take that to a new level. <laughs> Are you saying you haven't gotten into the realm of water? You're getting rid of stuff yet? I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful for for my sweet wife because she does indulge me. But it is cheaper than Ferraris or Porsches. So. Um, the last thing I'll say, and we're not out of time, but we're, our time is closing, and we can have some discussion if you want, but it does seem that these days, and I finish with this, that it's, it's much more about the doing. You know, it seems these days it's, it's, it's more about the doing, but it's not. It's about the relating. It's not about the doing. It's about the relating. Amen. Relating. I just don't relate with that person. Well, maybe you haven't had any conversation with that person, right? What is relating anyway? Relating is, you know, finding a point of, of, of let's call it common ground or communion where you, can, where you can start having a relationship. Relating, relation, relationship. It's a process. But if we're sitting there, you know, all day long passing people by, I mean, that doesn't work, right? We're made for communion. We're made to commune. We're made to relate. We're made to sit on the porch together. We're made to have tea with Barry on his porch. We're, we're, we're made to relate with our Father. That's the most important thing. 
And that's, it's not in the doing, it's not in the getting, it's in the relating. And remember the analogy about the light. Stay close to the light so that when the darkness comes, your light will burn the brightest. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you all for being here. I do want to open it up if there's any other discussion that, that, uh, or, or, or points anybody wants to share. You can do that. You're not going to offend me if you have nothing. That uh, prophetic group, the Eagles, <laughs> they said we're prisoners of our own devices. That would be the, the band, the <laughs> Eagles, yes. We're prisoners of our own devices. That would be, that would be accurate. <laughs> Pastor Larry. Yeah, I was just thinking about how you said that even our uh, our uh, ministry can can cause us to be uh, how would you say it can be a distraction, or we can be um, upset by even our ministry and what God does. And uh, you know, you used that. Uh, but Jesus said, "Don't don't be happy about the fact that the devils ran from you. Be be happy that your name is written in the in the Lamb's yeah. Book of Life." And I was thinking how Jonah was given this this mission. He did it expertly and fulfilled everything God wanted and then was sad because it reflected back on him as being of no account. And I was thinking, you know, we have to be prepared for what God wants success in. Yeah. And God's success is truly not always understood by us because we have a different concept, we have a different point of view, and so this this uh, relationship, this being next to the light, gives us that point of view where we realize the success of God, and that becomes our joy. Amen. And I, I just interested, you know, thinking about how that is relating to what you said. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. And I think about. Um, Monica loves uh, the book of Samuel. And she loves the fact that Samuel was taken to Eli at such an early age and he grew up, you know, in the temple. And I think about, you know, why is it that we're, you know, why, why do we have that, that, that point of discontent or unhappiness? You know, because that you're talking about. The reason why is we, we've grown up in the world. You know, the, we've been indoctrinated into the world's system of what success is and what failure is. You know, Samuel grew up in the house of the Lord. Today, you would look at somebody that had their kid growing up, not we, but the world would look at somebody that, that put their kid in the temple with the priest and say, that kid's going to grow up and live too sheltered of a life. You know, he, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, who comes out better in the end? Right? The worldly person or the person that grew up in the, in the temple? I mean, we really, there's so, you know, the whole, the whole, quote, that God's ways are not man's ways. There's so much truth to that, and there's so much depth to that. 
And if God's ways are not man's ways, then our ways need to not be man's ways. But we have to understand that people are going to be all bent out of shape because we're different. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's the way it is. And it's the way it should be for us, right? Um, so that's a great, that was a great observation, Larry. Thank you. Yeah. Anybody else? All right. Well, thank you for being here today. Thank you for allowing me the pleasure of, of, uh, having discussion with you and commune and relationship this morning. And I want to pray a quick um, prayer and then we'll conclude. <laughs> Lord, we love you so much and we are in the world, but we're not of the world. And we pray that you would constantly help us to remember that. That we, we our success is found in you and our relationship with you and our commune with you and our time with you. <clears throat> it's not in... It's not in the getting, it's not in the doing. It's in the relating. And Father, we ask that you would cause us, Lord, to just, man, just to press into the light because we are in a dark, dark place, a dark world, and we do want our lights to shine, Father. So I ask that you would just bless everybody in this house, everybody in this class, everybody that's hearing this today that you would make yourself known to a greater degree. Or that you would press into them as they press into you. We love you and we give you thanks in the name of Jesus, our elder brother and our Savior, in whom we gather our joy. Amen.